You're listening to Comedy Central. October 28, 2019. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. tonight. First, Texas Democrat running for President of the United States, Beto O'Rourke is joining us, everybody. And then, you know her from Crazy Rich Asians and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, international movie superstar, Michelle Yeoh is joining us on the show. It's gonna be a fun conversation with her. Also, on tonight's episode, TikTok is snitching on you. The alphabet has been updated, and a new position in ISIS has just opened up. So let's catch up (laughs) on today's headlines. Let's start with TikTok. It's the short video app for people who were bored before the end of the sentence. (laughs) But now, Congress is worried that although the videos might be short, the consequences could last for a long time. The app that's taken teenagers by storm, TikTok, now facing a storm of a different kind, accused of posing a possible security risk. With more than 500 million active accounts around the world, now all eyes are on the people behind the app. Two top senators targeting the Chinese tech company that owns TikTok. In a letter to the director of national intelligence asking for an investigation into TikTok and other Chinese-based companies, warning they may pose a national security risk. This is a threat to American security. When China has data on 110 million Americans, who knows what they do with it? That's right. Chuck Schumer wants to launch an investigation into TikTok. But I feel like he's just doing this so he can have someone come to Congress to explain what TikTok is. (laughs) He's like, I tried to subpoena my granddaughter, but she never returns my calls. (laughs) Never returns my calls. But for real, it would be very serious if the Chinese can use TikTok for spying. Because, I mean, with this information, China can learn all of America's <laughs> dance moves, you know? They're just gonna be figuring it all out. They're like, yeah, oh, yeah, we figured it all out. <laughs> That's the thing that's kept the U.S. ahead of China all this time. China's there like, we have nuclear weapons and 5G, but we can't figure out how to hit the wall. When do you lock? Oh! <laughs> and keep in mind, TikTok is like 90% teenagers. So I'm not worried that China's watching me when I'm there. I'm more worried that the dude from Catch a Predator is gonna pop up and be like, Trevor, what are you doing here? I'm just here for the memes. I'm just here for the memes, I swear. (laughs) And can we agree on something, people? At this point, let's just agree that every app is spying on us, okay? Just work under that assumption. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they're all watching us. The only app that somehow doesn't know your location is Uber. That is the only one (laughs) for some strange reason. They just can't figure it out. All right, moving on. If you are a young child just learning the alphabet, first of all, please stop watching this show. Uh, (laughs) Seriously, I might say at any time. And also, it turns out you've been doing it all wrong. The new alphabet song that's getting mixed reviews. Yeah, you can say that. This version aims to get rid of the infamous LMNOP and make it clearer for kids. Take a listen. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I-J-K-L-M-N-O-P-Q-R 
no. First of all, no. Secondly, hell no. And third, this new Kanye album is a real departure. It went real weird. Who is this for? Who is this for? Because if my kid can't figure out LMNOP, I don't wanna make it easier for them. I just wanna know as soon as possible so I can stop saving up for their college. I just wanna know. I don't wanna waste my money. I mean, at some point, even as a kid, you would figure out that LMNOP are separate letters in the alphabet, right? There's no 40-year-old out there who's just like, excuse me, for the Wi-Fi, is it uppercase LMNOP or, uh, cause it keeps saying password incorrect. All right, and finally, here's a great new excuse for drunk drivers to try. An Ohio man was pulled over for drunk driving and a blood test revealed he had twice the legal limit of alcohol in his system. But the driver swore to police he didn't have anything to drink and it turns out he was telling the truth. Doctors say that man has a rare medical condition that turns yeast in your gut into alcohol. It's called auto brewery syndrome. <laughs> auto brewery syndrome? That is the coolest disease <laughs> I've ever heard of. Like, essentially, when this guy eats carbs, inside his stomach, a team of tiny hipsters turns it into beer. That's what's <laughs> happening. You realize that, right? And obviously, I'm sure there are downsides to this. Like, for one, he could never run a marathon because it's gonna be like, oh, I got a carbo load, and then all of a sudden, it's like, actually, I'm gonna skip the race because, bitch, I need to dance. <laughs> but in my eyes, getting drunk for free is not a syndrome, right? That's a superpower. <laughs> yeah. Like a building's gonna be on fire, there'll be some woman outside like, oh, my stuff is in there, but no one's drunk enough to risk their life to save it. He's like, not, not so fast, my good lady. I'll freaking go in there. But first, I need to take a nap. I need to take a nap, yeah. All right, that's it for the headlines. Let's move on, top, top story. For the past few weeks, President Donald Trump has been having a not good time. <laughs> From the impeachment inquiry, to the chaos in Syria, to the controversy over hosting the G7 at his own resort, plus it's Halloween, so people try, keep trying to put candles in him. But then, <laughs> on Saturday night, out of the blue, Trump tweeted, something big, very big, has just happened. <laughs> and with Trump, that could mean anything. <laughs> hey, did he buy Greenland? Is the trade war with China officially over? Uh, did Trump finally learn that LMNOP isn't one long letter? <laughs> we don't know. Well, on Sunday morning, we found out what that something big actually was. Breaking news, President Trump announces ISIS leader al-Baghdadi has died during a U.S. special operations raid in Syria. The U.S. has been searching for Baghdadi for more than five years, a senior official telling ABC that it was information obtained after interrogating a courier and one of Baghdadi's wives that eventually led to his secret compound. Yes, it's official. The leader of ISIS is dead. And you heard what they said. They found him by interrogating his courier, which is a great reminder to always tip your delivery guy, people. <laughs> yeah, 20% for good service, 30% if you're a terrorist who's trying to hide your location. <laughs> now, over the past couple of days, we've started learning the details of this raid, and to be honest, it sounds like something straight out of a movie. The secret operation beginning at 5 p.m. Saturday night. 
eight Chinook helicopters took off from a Kurdish-controlled area in Iraq, flying low and fast, taking on gunfire and returning the fire before landing in northern Syria. Once on the ground, the commandos blowing a hole through Baghdadi's hideout. The front door had been booby-trapped. You know, you think you go through the door. If you're a normal person, you say, knock, knock, may I come in? Uh, the fact is that they blasted their way into uh, the house in a very heavy wall, and it took them literally seconds. Yes, yes. Instead of knocking on the door and asking ISIS if they could come in, the special forces instead chose to blow a hole through the wall, which must have been traumatizing for Trump to watch. He was just sitting there like, no, why did you damage that beautiful wall? That wall didn't do anything to anybody. Why would you do that? Now Mexicans are gonna pour into Al-Baghdadi's house and take all ISIS jobs. You know, you know, honestly, the one cool thing about Donald Trump is that unlike other presidents, he's never trying to communicate the gravity of this moment and keep the details to a minimum. No, he sounds like a dude on the local news who just saw some shit. They blasted their way in and then uh, all hell broke loose. He died after running into a dead end tunnel, whimpering and crying and screaming all the way. He died like a dog. He died like a coward. He reached the end of the tunnel as our dogs chased him down. He ignited his vest, killing himself. Nobody was even hurt. Our canine, as they call, I call it a dog, a beautiful dog, a talented dog, was injured and brought back. Yes, yes, I call it a dog. So Baghdadi died like a dog, but a dog is also the hero. Some very mixed messages about dogs in this story. More importantly, though, it's weird that al-Baghdadi tried to escape through a dead-end tunnel. Does nobody else find that weird? Why does a terrorist compound have a dead-end tunnel? And also, isn't a dead-end tunnel just a cave? What is that? Like, who made this tunnel? Was it built by the same people who run the New York subway? Is that what it was? Baghdadi ran there, he's like, a dead-end. You said the tunnel would be finished by now. He's like, look, buddy, there's a lot of things that are supposed to happen in life, all right? My wife was supposed to be a double D. Turns out I'm gay and my husband and I are living our truth. What do you want to do? What do you want to do, buddy? Now, whether you like Trump or not, you have to admit that this is a big win in the fight against ISIS. But Trump is the only person who can turn a unifying occasion into a dick-measuring contest. This is the biggest there is. This is uh, the worst ever. Uh, Osama bin Laden was very big, but Osama bin Laden became big with the World Trade Center. This is a man who built a whole, uh, as he would like to call it, a country, a caliphate, uh, and was trying to do it again. What are you doing? <laughs> you don't have to pretend this guy is a bigger get than bin Laden. First of all, it's childish. Secondly, he's not, all right? Bin Laden changed the entire world forever. It's 18 years after 9-11, and I still can't take four ounces of lotion onto an airplane. <laughs> I go on vacation, and my skin is dry as f That's how bad a terrorist Bin Laden was. We all ashy in these streets because of Bin Laden. All these guys are bad. You don't have to weigh them out. But once again, Trump has managed to turn a nonpartisan American victory into another political fight. Who deserves more credit? Is it Trump or Obama? Do presidents even deserve any credit for military victories? The whole conversation is ridiculous because we all know who really made this thing happen. It was that canine. 
<laughs> or, as I call it, a dog. My first guest is a former three-term congressman from Texas who is running for president of the United States. Please welcome Beto O'Rourke. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Huge honor to be with you. Before we start, I have to acknowledge that you have developed quite a reputation for having a potty mouth on the trail. People have said, Beto tells it like it is, and he curses. So every time you curse, I'm gonna... <laughs> I'm just warning you, Beto. I'm Thank ready. You. I'm ready. Yeah. Um, but, but let's talk about the road for a little bit. You, you, you've been on the campaign trail, and although you ran for Senate, this is a really different race. Are you, are you holding up, and is it everything you thought it would be? America is a lot bigger than Texas. So uh, a lot more counties, a lot more <laughs> ground to cover, uh, a lot more people to meet. But, but the basics of an election or a campaign or democracy are the same. You're, you're there to meet people, uh -huh. to introduce yourself. And if you're doing it right, you're listening to them as well. And you're reflecting back their stories, their experiences, and hopefully bringing new people into the experience. When, when we first ran in Texas, our straight state ranked 50th in voter turnout. Not because we love our democracy any less than anyone else, but literally we were drawn that way. Based on the color of your skin or your ethnicity, you may be drawn out of a congressional district right. to diminish the power of your vote, this, this racial gerrymandering that we had. So we went to every single one of the 254 counties to bring everyone in, and we had the highest level of voter turnout in a midterm election in 2018. That's what we need to do this year you against Donald Trump. Right, you definitely did that, but, but, but you know, there's, there's no denying that this race hasn't turned out maybe the way you would have intended because everyone knew the name Beto O'Rourke because you blew up in the race against Ted Cruz. You know, you had uh, people rallying for you even from outside of the state. I mean, you had Beyonce give you an endorsement. That's Beyonce. I mean, you won the race there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why you're still I in politics. It, yeah. I would just wear a T-shirt that says Beyonce chose me. Um, but, but, but the presidential race seems to be different. It seems to be in and around like preconceived notions of leadership or what people think they know about you. So are you where you hoped to be in the presidential race? Look, I would love to be doing a lot better. Mm -hmm. that, that's for sure. Um, but I gotta tell you, I am so grateful for the extraordinary supporters and volunteers, some of whom I see here right now that traveled all the way to New York to be here. Um, I, I wish... I wish that enthusiasm and dedication was reflected in the polls. To, to answer your question, I don't think the polling reflects the passion and the commitment and the resolve of our supporters from, from all over the country. I really right. feel it. But we're also in this extraordinary field of candidates. Yes. That numbers right. you somewhere around 20. People, what is yeah. it? 18 people running. So that, yes. that it makes sense that it's going to be diluted. When, when you are running for president, though, you're in an interesting position because you are running against all these Democrats, but you're also running against the person who is currently in office. Today is a particularly interesting day because Donald Trump has come out and he's given the speech about the leader of ISIS being killed. 
And because of the way he, he, he presented it, the, the, you know, a, a conversation has now sparked from that, people saying, oh, he wants to take credit, or he says Obama shouldn't take credit, you know, previously, and who's credit, credit, credit? You tweeted out a congratulatory note, you know, uh, honoring the troops who are involved in this. Do you think a commander-in-chief should be taking credit for the achievements of the military, or, uh, and do you think that that's, that's their place, or should they just be in a place of taking the blame and then moving on? I think it would make sense for the president to um, congratulate those service members and the canine, or mm-hmm. dog, as, as <laughs> he refers to it. Um, but, but also, you know, some have made the case, and, it, and it's very compelling to me, that this raid was successful in spite of, or despite the president, not, not because of him, to turn his back on those Kurdish fighters whose intelligence and help Uh, located al-Baghdadi in in the first place and made sure that we were successful. His precipitous withdrawal um, that created a void that Turkey and Russia, Iran, and ISIS and Assad uh, have all come into. It it is really a miracle that we were able to do this, but but is really owing to our allies, our friends, our partners on the ground, and those brave service members who put their lives on the line to ensure that there was justice for this country. When you... When you look at the situation as somebody, as somebody who's auditioning to be the commander-in-chief, do you think that Trump made the right move in pulling the troops out? Because you've said previously that the unending wars cannot continue for America. There needs to be a, a reason for what is happening. Uh, Trump has said there is no reason now that ISIS is virtually defeated. Do you agree with that, or how would you have handled the situation differently? I don't, uh, because, you know, the al-Baghdadi... Uh, raid is a great example. Because of those partnerships that we have on the ground, we are successful. Without those partnerships, not only is our standing and our stature, but our security is diminished in that area, as well as it is around the world. There, There are going to be fewer potential allies down the road after they've seen how we've treated the Kurds. Mm -hmm. So at some point, our military engagement in Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan and Yemen and Somalia and Libya and all these other countries has to end, but it has to end predicated on a political solution or we will find U.S. service members back there again, their lives on the line once more. If if ISIS is the son of al-Qaeda, what have we done to prevent the next generation of al-Qaeda or ISIS-like fighters in that region? We need to be working on diplomatic, political solutions there. That necessitates close working relationships with our friends, our allies, and even being willing to sit across the table from those who do not see eye to eye with the United States. That's the only way to resolve these differences peacefully, nonviolently, diplomatically, without using military force. Speaking of solutions, let's move on to a um, list of solutions you drafted and, and proposed today with regards to prison reform. This is truly one of the biggest issues facing America today. To have, you know, the population of a small country imprisoned is something that has been a black mark on America's record for too long. Excuse the pun. Right. You, you have... <laughs> a large prison population in a country where it seems like the prison population is not gonna dwindle anytime soon. What do you think needs to change beyond the obvious? Right. And how do you begin changing that? You've gotta stop this flow that really begins in school. And it doesn't begin in high school, this schoolhouse to jailhouse pipeline that we all hear about. It, it starts in kindergarten when a child is five years old. In Texas, that child is five times as likely to be disciplined or suspended or expelled if he or she is a child of color. That kid is absolutely defenseless against the system into which she was born. So 
making sure that we don't just have equality in terms of funding for our schools, but equity in our schools. Mm -hmm. The teachers should look like the students in front of them. We're going to have much better outcomes if we do that. Ending the profit incentive for the incarceration epidemic that we have right now, 2.3 million behind bars, more than on any other country on the planet, disproportionately comprised of people of color. And there are for-profit prison companies who have a vested interest in that continuing to be the case. So end for-profit prisons and cash bail in America. You'll do a lot to address this issue. Why, why the cash bail? Cash bail basically says that some people are going to be too poor for justice, that you will languish in jail uh, awaiting um, you know, a, a trial or the ability to even see your attorney in the first place, while others who have the means to do so are able to, to get out. Um, if we complement that with an end to the war on drugs, mm -hmm. which has really become a war on people and a war on some people more than others, some have called it the, the new Jim Crow, because though white Americans and black Americans will use marijuana at the same rate, Black Americans are far more likely to be stopped and frisked and arrested and incarcerated and upon release to bear the consequences of that. Checking a box on every employment application form, meaning it's less likely that you get the job, unable to pursue higher education or get a small business loan. So not only ending that war on drugs, legalizing marijuana, but expunging the arrest records for those who've served time and then making sure that those who were arrested for selling weed, typically black or brown, are first in line to have the licenses to legally sell marijuana once it's become legal in this country. Transformative justice. The, um, the one thing about you that has been consistent is that your policies have resonated with multitudes of people. The Democratic race, though, has not been kind to you, partly due to the fact that it is overcrowded and there are, you know, the, the bigger names who, who seem to be taking up most of the votes. Some have said, Beto O'Rourke, why don't you help on the ground? Why don't you help the Democrats win the war that they're trying to fight in this thing against Donald Trump and go, we are going to win the Senate race? Because if a Democratic president comes in but they don't have the Senate, then all of this is going to be, you know, hampered at best. How do you respond to those people who say, Beto, just focus on the Senate and yeah. you, you've done better in Texas than any Democrat in the last quarter century. How do you respond to those people when they say that to you? I tell them that I want to be the president that this country needs, that we are so sorely lacking right now. A president who heals instead of inflames, who, who brings us together instead of further dividing us who operates on ambition and aspiration instead of fear. And I want to be the nominee of this party who can win Texas and its 38 electoral college votes. That state, more than any other, could put Donald Trump away now and, and forever. And, and we know that this guy... Um, if, if there is the, the, the slightest question about the outcome of that election, he will exploit it to his full advantage. Texas, those 38 electoral college votes, makes that victory incredibly clear to the American people and then forever changes the electoral landscape in America. And in addition, uh, having me at the top of the ticket also helps the nominee for U.S. Senate against John Cornyn, as well as down-ballot races throughout the state of Texas. So I think hmm. I can do... Interesting. I can do more as the nominee uh, and more as president than I can in any other position. And that's why I'm pursuing that for this country. Wow, that's a powerful position to take. Yeah. Yeah. So good having you on the show. Thank you. Good really luck for it. Iowa. I know it's going to be a tough one. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Better O'Rourke, everybody. Really appreciate we'll it. We'll be right back.
Daily Show. My next guest is a legend of the big screen. She can be seen in the new film, Last Christmas. Please welcome Michelle Yeoh. Welcome. God, are they always like, are you always like this? Uh, <laughs> are you always here? The, <laughs> I think the answer speaks for itself. Um, welcome to the show. Thank you. Charlie. Such an honor to have you here. Um, let's talk about the new movie first, um, Last Christmas. Mm -hmm. It feels like it is a coming together of everybody's favorites from everything into one movie. <laughs> it's, like, that's what it feels like. It's, we go like Crazy Rich Asians, one of the biggest movies in the world that everyone fell in love with. And then you've got Game of Thrones, yes. which everyone is in love with. And everyone is just like, yeah, just put all our best things together <laughs> and we're gonna watch that for Christmas. <laughs> is that what it felt like on set? Definitely. It, we were like the two dragon ladies, right? <laughs> 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 like, Who's gonna be the dragon lady here? <laughs> and then we had so much fun. Right. Emilia is just wonderful to work with and I really, really enjoyed it. It was a little daunting when uh, Paul Feig, and I love him for this, uh, he called me and he says, I want you to play Santa. And I went, <laughs> Santa? <laughs> I know I champion for uh, gender equality and all, but really I'm gonna put on the ho, 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 red outfit and that. Then he goes, no, 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 no. Emma Thompson wrote an incredible script. Right. Emma Thompson. Right? I mean, Paul Keith, Emma Thompson, Emilia Clarke, Henry Golding. I was like, okay, I'm there. But please explain, what is this Santa? And I've never ventured into a comedy. I mean, Crazy Rich Asians is a romantic comedy, but I played the most serious role there, right? Yeah, very serious role. Right. right. But in this one, I actually get to be funny. And I... Is, is that a big departure for you? Because, like, I grew up watching your movies and I only knew you as an action star. You know, that is the only way I knew you. Like, you were... It was like you, Jet Li, Jackie Chan. That was my world when I was watching you growing right. up. And then, funny enough, then I moved to America. Then I was like, Michelle Yeoh. And they're like, oh, yes, we know her from, like, you know... Like, it's more, like, dramatic. I was like, no, the action star. They're like, action star? <laughs> but a lot of people don't know this about you. Is you were a huge action star. Ah, oh, a huge action star. Mm -hmm. uh, like, in Asia. So proud to be a right. great action and star. And then you had to cross over to America and start again from scratch. <laughs> But then when I crossed over, the, one of the first movies I did was Tomorrow Never Dies. Of course, yes, right. right. Yes, and so we do appreciate that you've making, taken that effort to come and watch us. So when you do come, I want to give you a surprise, and I hope that last Christmas will be a fun surprise for you. Let me, let me ask you this then. When you, are, when you move into comedy, I mean, a lot of actors have said it's actually one of the most difficult disciplines because being straight is being straight, and then, you know, like, fighting is fighting, but yes. with comedy, it's timing, timing and it's rhythming. Yes. Was that difficult for you? I was terrified. I would have rather beat down eight guys, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Just bring them on. When Paul Feig, bless him, he says, you can do it. I said, you realize I've never done comedy before. Right. And he was just obsessed and relentless. He said, you have to try and do this. And Emma Thompson actually wrote this character inspired by someone she, who's very dear to her, which is her daughter-in-law, Bao, who is an immigrant from China. Oh, wow. Who's moved uh, to England. And I think her story is also very much about the immigrants who have come. 
and with uh, Santa or Bao, they came and they were determined to fit in. So my character, Santa, when she worked at the pet shop, she wanted to blend in, but not because she didn't want to be, she wasn't proud of who she was right, right, or right. her ethnicity. If you watch the way she dresses, it's got the Chinese elements in there, but then like the flamboyant uh, Western panache as well. Right, right, right. right. And she would call herself Kitty at the pet store or um, Muffin at the bakery. <laughs> so as far as Amelia Clark was concerned, your name is Santa. Yes. And then I said, no, my name is Huang Zhongxin. She was like, rrr, rrr, rrr. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I think I'm, I'm going to call myself Hosty from now on. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show. No, Congratulations no. on your first comedy, not your last. Thank you for being here. Last Christmas. We'll be in theaters November 8th. Michelle Yeoh, everybody. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.